Good morning, everybody. How are you? That good. Great. We're going to have a great time. Um, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm happy to be here. Uh, things are great in my household right now because the Olympics have started for the next, like, whatever is it, 14, 12, 14 days. Oh, my gosh. Like, the cases are pretty much couch potatoes. We, we, uh, we are for the Olympics. We are pro-Olympics in my house. We watch the, um, anyway, watch the opening ceremonies. Oh, my gosh. Like, by far... Musically, best opening ceremonies ever. I'm like, I know this song. I know this song too. Um, it was a great time. And if you follow me on Twitter or on Facebook, you know my son is providing excellent color commentary. Uh, I shared the, my favorite line when they did the, the parade of nations and they, uh, they get to Belize and Levi looks to me and goes, don't stop Belizing. And I'm like... I don't, know who, I don't know who writes his material, but they're good. Um, so yeah, we, we love the Olympics. We love the stories. Uh, I mean, my, like every time we start watching, um, my kids and, and my, uh, me, just we keep looking at my wife, Shana, and like every time they tell an athlete's story, we look at her and we're like, are you crying yet? And she's like, no, I'm not crying. Um, <laughs> Because, like, the stories are just so compelling. We just get so geeked out about it. Um, but in the opening ceremonies, uh, there was a, a UK hip-hop artist named Dizzy Rascal. Anybody Dizzy Rascal? I didn't think so. Uh, this is him. Look at what he's rocking. Look at the jacket. I don't know how Pastor Mark made this happen. Maybe he runs triathlons. I don't know. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what's going on in our house. We, we love the Olympics. And, uh, but what's going on here is Galatians. And we've been going through the book of Galatians. Really, tr- I, I, I would like to think with no other agenda but to ask, what do you have to teach us, you know, Paul, the writer, uh, through this scripture? And just trying to sit in front of Galatians and um, there's a way, I guess, something that always stands out to me is like, not so much to read scripture, but to have scripture like read us, to have scripture ask questions of, of us. And I think that's really, really cool because to me, I love questions. I think questions can drive our lives in particular directions. You know, I remember sitting down, I was just sharing this with somebody uh, from the community couple days ago that uh, right around the time I was 30, 31, I sat down and, and I looked at the question of like, what do you want said, you know, at your eulogy? And that's kind of one of those questions that kind of we go like nod and then we blow right by. But I decided to sit with this question for a couple hours and I actually wrote out, you know, what do I want to hear from my kids when I have, you know, when I have checked out? You know, what do I, what do I want to hear from my wife? And those questions, like, what do you want said at your eulogy? What do you want, you know, the, they talk about the dash on your, on your, on your tombstone. You know, you have the, the, the beginning date, the end date. Well, what does that dash, what's that going to represent for you? Those questions will drive your life. They will force you, hopefully, to make decisions, you know, based on what your answers are. And so this morning, what I want to do uh, 
as we move towards sharing a really special time with some families and some children, and as we move towards the Lord's table, is I wanna put three questions in front of us as a community and as individuals. These questions are not linear. They don't build off of each other. They are three uh, essentially unrelated questions, but they're three questions that I believe are right here in this passage of Galatians for us this morning. And I wanna suggest to you that these are the most, some of the most important questions that you can wrestle with as a human being and as a believer. So that's kind of what we're, going to, what we're going to do. And we're just going to jump in. I'm going to start in chapter 3 in verse 26. And we're going to rest in this passage for a, a bit. So Paul writes this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So the first thing I want to kind of say is one of the central kind of ideas that Paul is trying to get at in the book of Galatians is the question of who are the true children of Abraham? That is what, and that's why he keeps bringing the phrase up over and over again. Children of Abraham, children of Abraham. And the tension as we've been living with the past few weeks as, as we've been going through this book is that there's two parties Two people, two groups of people in Galatia that are essentially saying the true children of Abraham are the people who believe in Jesus, but also try to fulfill the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, and who are absolutely circumcised and who are absolutely holding to the things that the Jewish people held as symbols of their identity. So you didn't, you ate kosher food. You kept all of those laws. Those were the children of Abraham. And then there's this other group of people that Paul is representing very strongly to saying, no, actually, the true children of Abraham are the people who have pledged their faith and their allegiance to this man, Jesus. And that is who the children of Abraham are. That's how they're found. The Mosaic law uh, does not matter so much. Kosher doesn't matter. Circumcision doesn't matter. So that's the central idea, one of the central ideas of Galatia. And obviously, this passage kind of gets at that in a very concise way. It, it addresses this. And uh, so he says in verse 28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you're all one, in Christ Jesus. So right here, Paul just stops and he says, there are these sort of major identities that we tend to rest in. Jew, Gentile, which is kind of a cultural thing. Slave or free, which you could look at as sort of a socioeconomic status thing, wealthy, poor, male, female, sexuality, gender. And Paul's saying that all of these things are sort of irrelevant in the light of your allegiance and your status with Jesus. Now, this comes, first of all, straight from Jesus in his ministry. 
First, I want to just share this with you. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is hanging out doing ministry. And this, in the, Mark writes this, that Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. And they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. A family in the ancient Near East was about a bazillion times, yes, I said bazillion, times more critical than what we hold it to. It was your uh, absolute primary identification. All right? So watch what Jesus says. Jesus says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? He looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus essentially in that one statement says uh, this cultural identity, the central identity that we all kind of think that we hold to, it, it pales in comparison to your relationship to me. Your relationship to Jesus is much more important than your family relationship. And Paul is essentially unpacking that idea and even taking it to a, a higher level. Interestingly enough, kind of a, a little fact here is that this verse is in direct opposition to, to a prayer and a saying that was really popular around the first century in Jewish culture and in Greek culture. Uh, Jewish men would pray a prayer that would say essentially, God, thank you that you did not make me a Gentile. God, thank you that you did not make me uh, an idiot. And God, thank you that you did not make me a woman. The Greeks had a very similar saying. You know, I'm really grateful that I am a sophisticated Greek, that I'm not a barbarian, and I'm thankful that I'm, that I'm not a man. And in this one sentence, Paul kind of counteracts the prevailing culture in his day. And he goes, you know what? Actually, 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 those things that you are so thankful for, the things that you think are so important are nothing compared to your relationship with this man, Jesus. Now, if you know Paul's writings at all, I want to be really, really clear here. If you know Paul's writings at all, Paul's not wiping out all of these identities. Because Paul finds it very important that he's a man. And there are women that Paul finds it's very important that they're women. And it's very important that Paul was Jewish. And it's very important that his uh, sort of church folks are Gentiles. But those identities are all radically transformed. And they are nothing compared to who Jesus is in their life. So the question, or not so much the question is for us, is to look first of all at these identities in our life. So the Gentile Jewish division is essentially a cultural division or, a, or an ethnic division. You know, I think God loves that I'm a white man. And that culture for me brings a lot to the table that God welcomes and says, Eric, you know, live in the kingdom as a white man. But never think that that is, the, that that is your highest allegiance. That that pales in comparison to what Jesus calls from my life. 
the socioeconomic status that, that we all sort of share. You know, are you a slave for, are you a slave or are you free? Are you wealthy or are you poor? Those things matter. But they never matter as much as your allegiance to Jesus. And whenever Jesus comes into conflict with one of these statuses, we have to really seriously question it. And the last is, where is your, like, if, if, like I said, God loves the fact that I'm a man, but if my maleness counteracts Jesus' commandments, then I better reconsider what it means to be a man in light of what Jesus, how Jesus has to be in the world. These identities are all critical and they're important, and God does not ask us to lay them down but he asks us to compare them to our allegiance to Jesus. So the first question that this passage asks us today is simply this. How are you doing with your allegiance to Jesus? Is there something that you are putting higher than him? Is there some cultural reality, some status reality, some identity that you are proud of, but in honesty, you might say, sometimes I'm tempted to put this ahead of what Jesus says. And, and a really powerful check on this is to think of this phrase, Jesus, I will follow you if. I will follow you as long as. And whatever follows that if, whatever follows that as long as, is possibly competing with your allegiance to Jesus. So Jesus, I will follow you if I can keep my house that I love. Well, then maybe my status of being a homeowner, as much as that blesses me, as much as I've received that as grace, maybe that's competing with my allegiance to Jesus. Jesus, I will follow you as long as my friendships stay intact. As long as my uh, boyfriend or girlfriend come with me and are a part of that following, then that identity is competing maybe with your allegiance to Jesus. So that's the first question I feel like this passage is asking us. How are you doing comparing like the identities that we carry with your allegiance to Jesus? So the second question is actually uh, also encapsulated in this passage. I'm going to read this passage again. Paul writes, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been, what's the text say? United with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. But there's an interesting phrase that Paul uses in verse 27. He says, uh, you've been united with Christ in baptism and put him on, put on Christ. And the Greek word that Paul uses there is uh, in duo. And the concept that's related to this word is much more than putting on clothes. It's much more than putting on this baby blue shirt or these jeans. It's, it's actually to take on the very characteristics of. So what Paul's trying to get at is that something has happened 
When you have put your faith in Jesus and when you've been baptized, Paul's saying that there is a spiritual reality that you have taken on the very characteristics of Jesus. Now, a few months ago, Mark, Pastor Mark talked about how preoccupied we can be in, in the church with this phrase of, are you saved? You know, are you saved? Are you in the club? Are you, are you going to heaven? And even in my life, I, I know that I can become very preoccupied with that. Am I going to heaven? Have I got the answers to the question right so that I can have, you know, happy times on the clouds with blue-eyed Jesus? And uh, Paul uses save language, salvation language all over the place. But right here, the language that he uses to represent our reality of Christ is much more than just saved, isn't it? Have you put on the characteristics of Jesus? Like Paul's saying, like, you know, the thing that matters is have you taken on the characteristics of Jesus? Have you been united with him? This is what Paul's getting at. And he's saying, like, if you have, you are the true children of Abraham. And that, those concepts of of, uni of unity with Christ, of putting Jesus on, of belonging to him. I don't know if, if, if that strikes you as like a lot more intense than just, well, am I saved? Am I going to heaven? That gets at a whole different reality for my life. Because a lot of times I know that I'm saved, but in my day, I, I would say, I don't know that I've put on the characteristics of Jesus because there was a lot that I do during the day that doesn't look very much like Jesus. And yet Paul says, like, that's what we're, that's what we're being called to. So this, the question here for us is very simply this. How are you doing with your union with Jesus? Not just are you saved? Not just are you in the club? But do you feel that unity with Jesus? And I would just say, tell you as, as a person who's walked uh, this life for a little bit and walked this faith for a little bit, that unity with God, union requires rearranging your life in some ways. It, it means spending some time with this book. It means spending some time with a close group of people in a small group that, or a growth group that you can say, I need to unburden my life and I need you to speak into that. And arranging your life for union with God means prayer and worship. And very clearly, Paul is saying, that's what it means to be a child of Abraham. That you've put on the characteristics of Jesus. So what's the state of your union with Jesus today? Is it strong? Or would you say, you know what, in honesty... I need to take stock of some things and I need to maybe rearrange some things because I don't feel that unity with Jesus. I know he loves me. I know I'm saved. But unity, I don't know. Union, I don't know if I can say. And then Paul uses this phrase like, you're the children of Abraham. And I want to pause here before we go into sort of the last section here and just want to talk about what that means because we think sometimes we go, children of Abraham, woo! 
No clue what it means. But I know Paul says I'm a child of Abraham. What this meant uh, was of really, really paramount importance to the church. And, you know, uh, I like to kind of just delve into the, the backstory of here because these phrases all mean something. And I want to read briefly what it means to be the child of Abraham. Okay, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the story, Genesis. There's a man named Abram. God changes his name to, to Abraham to represent a change in his life. But this is, what, uh, this is what Abram's story is. So the Lord says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, hey, leave your native country your relatives, and your father's family. Now, incidentally, I find it curious that Paul just deals with three cultural identities, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, um, male, female, and God's call to Abram comes in three major identities. Your native country, your relatives, your father's family. These sources of identity, and God says, Abram, leave them. Go to the land that I will show you. And then in a few chapters later in Genesis 15, this really unpacks the blessing and what it means to be a child of Abraham. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, don't be afraid, Abram, for I'll protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? Remember, we're talking about children of Abraham. Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then God said to him, no, 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 no. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. In other places, God says, you're going to have these children, Abraham, and they're going to be a blessing to the world. I will bless your children and they will be a blessing to the world. So when Paul is writing and he says, hey, guess what? Uh, Galatians church, element three church, church everywhere, followers of Jesus. You're the children of Abraham. What he's saying is that that promise from Genesis, that God is going to welcome you and bless you. You are now the recipients of that. And you, as, uh, as having the status of being blessed, now it's your job to go be a blessing. You are blessed for a mission. Because God tells Abram, I'm going to bless the whole world through your kids. Well, guess what? We're Abraham's kids. And it's our job to take that blessing to the world. And that's what Paul's writing at. He was saying, that's why it matters to be who the children of Abraham are. Because that's the tool that God's going to use to bring about healing to the world to bring about wholeness to the world, to be part of God's mission. That's who the children of Abraham are. That's who you are. That's who I am. Now, as we move into the last uh, section, I'm just going to read these eight verses of chapter four. Paul kind of 
goes back to this concept of what's the status, what's the relationship of the law to these people now. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us. And here he's referring to the Jewish people that they were sort of being guarded by the law. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. So Paul's saying here, look, the law was great for its time. We needed it. It guarded us. But that time's over. Something better has come, and it makes no sense to go back to something that was inferior. It makes no sense to go back to something that was basic when something infinitely better has come. And then he wraps it up this way. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Can I get an amen? And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, the problem is, is I've talked, enough, uh, I've talked to enough of you and enough people in my life to know that when you start talking about being a child and we start talking about parenthood and having fathers that for a lot of us in this room and in this community, stuff comes up. Because a lot of us would say that our journey with our parents has been difficult if we even have one. A lot of us, there's just a blank sort of slide when we start talking about fathers or parents. I think there's a reality of just like saying like, if you talk to me, we talk to somebody about being a child of God, some of us have a reaction of like, why would I want to be a child anyway? Because the last time I was a child, that didn't go so good. Because I got stories from my parents on this earth. A lot of you tell me, and aren't so great. So when you tell me to become a child of God, I go, you know what? I may actually prefer to be a slave. Because my parents weren't so good. And when you tell me that God's my father, I know I'm supposed to have warm, fuzzy feelings. A lot of you tell me that actually makes things worse. That actually makes things harder for me to think that God is my Father? What? And on the flip side of that, I just want to take a moment and actually talk to parents here. Because one of the greatest burdens in my life is realizing that I can't be a perfect father to my kids. That no matter how hard I try, there's going to be a gap between my best efforts and what they need in the world. And that makes it really, really heavy. 
I try to cover all the bases, but man, it's like herding cats sometimes, you know? Like, I gotta get them doing schoolwork. I gotta mold their character. I gotta, you know, do all this. You can't walk out of the house wearing that. You can't, you know? And, and despite my best efforts, I know that is not going to be enough. And even for those of us that had great dads, there's still a gap. And what do we do with that gap? Because the third question, and it is a question that is critical for our generation and for the generation that's younger than a lot of us, is this. What parenting or fathering voices are you listening to and what are they saying to you? Because a lot of them are saying, you're not good enough. A lot of them are saying, I'm not so sure I like you. And that is not what God's voice wants to say to you. And I thought about it this morning as we come to a day where we want to celebrate children. That maybe the best way for some of us to hear and to, to wrestle with how God views us as his children is to take a couple minutes and just dwell with some children and some families at a special time in their life. So um, as part of the sermon, I want you guys to just celebrate as we dedicate some children. And we're going to invite three families up this morning. And I want you to just kind of hear how God views children, how God views parenting, how God views the family. And I think I'm stalling a little bit while we get some families <laughs> out of the, uh, some kids out of the restroom and stuff. But they're, gonna, they're all going to come up, welcome them, help them. Go on up. That's a lousy welcome, E3. Welcome them. Thank you. Thank you. everybody's coming up, I'll let, uh, let the families introduce themselves. So Justin, will you introduce your family and tell us who you're dedicating? Yeah, um, I'm Justin, this is Jennifer, this is Brixton, and this is Isaac, and Isaac will be dedicated to the Lord. This is not for you. Hello, I'm Craig, and this is my wife Renee. 11 years today, we got married. Ah, that's awesome. And we're dedicating both of our children, uh, Elisa, and Ryan. I'm Lee. This is Quentin, the one who's been making all the noise today. <laughs> um, this is our son, Jacob, um, our daughter, Rihanna, and our other newest daughter, Angelique. Uh, we also have Christian and Destiny, who are not here right now, but um, so that's a total of six kids. <laughs> awesome. So, um, you know, child dedications or blessings of, ch of children is kind of rooted in a couple of things, but one of the, one of the very cool stories is, comes out of the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus is doing ministry, and he's probably in the middle of saying something very profound because he's Jesus. And these kids are trying to get to Jesus. 
you know, and imagine, you know, a lot of people think they're being really disruptive. And, and Jesus' 12 disciples, they're like, get those kids out of here. You know, he's Jesus for crying out loud. Um, and Jesus stops him and he goes, no, like that's not the way it is. And Jesus says, bring these kids to me. Bring these kids, bring the least of these, bring these kids that don't seem to have like anything to offer except stealing sleep from their parents. Bring them to me because they matter to God. And not only do they matter to God, but if you wanna know what living in the kingdom and entering the kingdom is like, you need to wrestle with what it means to be a child. And so we're going to sort of spend some time just dedicating these kids and speaking some words to them and to their parents. And we're going to have some time to make some promises to them as a community. So um, with that being said, um, hear these words. Today, we come to rejoice with Justin and Jennifer and with Craig and Renee and with Lee and with Melissa. The gift of these children, we want to give thanks to God who is the giver of life and the source of all blessing. And because Jesus invites the children to come to him, we bring Isaac, we bring Elisa and Ryan, and we bring Jacob, Rhiannon, Quentin, and Angelique to him and to this community. Praying for, for Jesus' blessing as a sign of the kingdom of God. Now as parents... You have offered these children to the strong and tender care of God and to the nurture of the church. And we as the members of this congregation promise to share in your child's nurture and support your efforts in providing a loving and caring home. Our prayers will be with you and for you in making your task both joyful, because you're going to need it, and fruitful. I'm going to ask uh, all the parents a few questions, so, and I'm going to ask uh, you guys some questions. So first of all, to the parents, do you testify before this community, before your community, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and that you will give him the first place in your life? Amen. Will you as parents, by God's help, Dedicate yourselves to the Christian nurturing of your child to bring them up in the worship and teaching of the church that they may come to know Christ as Savior, be baptized and follow him as Lord. We will. Okay, for us, will you as members of this congregation, as members of E3 Church, as part of this community, Will you dedicate yourselves to be faithful to your calling as members of the body so that these children and all the kids in this room and all the kids at E3 Kids will grow up in the knowledge and the love of Christ our Savior? If so, say we will. Amen. What we want to do is pray for the kids, and I'd like to just actually do this individually, so um, maybe if... I don't know how we do this, but I just want to come over here and if I can just kind of put a hand on maybe Isaac's toe. And, um, Isaac, uh, we dedicate you to the Lord Jesus. And we ask uh, God that you would teach us through Isaac's life uh, what you're like and that you would also sustain Justin and Jennifer as they bring Isaac up in the knowledge of what it means to be a Christ follower. We bless him and we ask
that you would make your face to shine upon Isaac for all the days of his life. Amen. Awesome. All right. Church, let's pray for um, Elisa and Ryan. Elisa and Ryan, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We bless you and say that our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you to defend you, within you to keep you, before you to lead you, beside you to guard you, and above you to bless you. Amen. And then, all these beautiful children... <laughs> you guys would pray with me. Lord, we pray for Jacob, Rihanna, and Quentin, and Angelique. We ask your blessing on their lives and on the blessing of this family. God, we pray that you keep them in perfect peace, that they would come to know you as, G as Lord and Savior of their lives, that you would make their paths straight, that you would put in, in them friends and and family members to nurture them and protect them as they grow up. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. So what we want to do now is I've asked, uh, actually asked the parents to kind of uh, be our sermon illustration. You know, what is the words that God speaks over us as his children? And so we're, we're just going to pass the mic down and I want you to hear this because if you want to know how God views you, all you have to do is listen to parents and their kids. So Justin and or Jennifer, why don't you tell us how you feel about your son and what you would do for him? I think in general, what I, being a parent, I've thought about is that they're so inspiring. Like the life that they bring to other people is inspiring because I feel like I don't bring that kind of life to people a lot of times. Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway. And the other thing in co the context of how God feels about us is that I know that there's nothing that they can do even when they, well, even when I'm walking around in the stroller outside at two in the morning that it's going to change the way I essentially feel about them. Um, and I, when I think about that in the context of God, it, it's powerful. How do you guys, just give us some words. How do you feel about I, I, I don't believe that our life really began until we had our children. Mm. I mean, they just, they brought everything to it. I can't, I can't explain it. I mean, it was just almost pointless and, and, until we had these kids. Um, I, I only say that because it's just, it, it, it just opened up this, uh, this entire world to us. And um, what yeah. would you do for them? They mean the world. They're everything for us. I mean, I can't explain it. Like, it's, it's, they're, they're, um, they're, they're flawless in our eyes, <laughs> even though, obviously, they're, they're humans. <laughs> but, um, so uh, they just, they, the entire, our, our, my life didn't begin until we had these kids. And, and my, my relationship with the Lord has, has been uh, under, understanding him as a father. You know, I didn't really have much of a parent, parent to, to raise me. And so to have this, um, this just perspective is just phenomenal. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. Let me tell you, let me help her. 
Let me hold this for you, Lee. <laughs> so tell me about your tell me about your kids, Lee. Um, well, actually, what he said was pretty much it. I mean, um, I have a daughter who's 14, and you know, it's like you always think that your purpose was for that child, and then as they keep just popping up. Um, <laughs> you know, it's you just, know what causes that, you know. Yeah, her in the hospital screaming. Every time she goes there screaming, a baby pops up. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, when you talk about relationships, this little guy right here, I have a relationship with him that I haven't even had with any of my other kids, and I, I, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, he's just... Well, you say, <laughs> yeah. Um, he is more attached to me than any of my other chid, kids ever were. Um, of course, everybody seems to be attached to Mama, so I guess I got one. <laughs> yeah. But. I hope, like, it's our prayer. Thank, thank you guys. You guys can head back to your seats, which I'm sure the kids are gonna love. <laughs> but I hope, like that you don't blow by those words, that there is nothing that God, that you can do to make God love you less, to make God reject you. The words that those parents feel, the, the, the feelings they feel, the words they speak, those are the words that God has for you. The words that say, are you challenging sometimes, Eric? Yeah. But will God reject me? No. Does he have everlasting love? Does, in a sense, like God's purpose sort of is almost wrapped up in my existence, that, God, that I bring God joy and not sorrow, that I'm not a burden to God. And that, I mean, we even heard it, and that God would die for me, for me, and for you. Those are the words that God has for you as a parent and as a child. And what we want to do is just kind of spend the last moments that we have together today in communion. And so uh, there's elements over here, there's elements over here. And I would challenge us this morning as we go to the table, to go to the table with these three questions in mind. Maybe just one of them that jumps out to you. Maybe you go to the table this morning with, a, with, a, with the idea of like, you know what? There are things in my life that I have put above my allegiance to Jesus. And so as I go to the table, I'm going to the table proclaiming, I need help. I need help to put things back right in my life. That Jesus is actually the main allegiance. So the second question is, what's the state of your union with with Jesus. So maybe you come to the table with a proclamation this morning of saying, you know what? My union is actually really stale and dry. And I'm weak. But I am knowing that God's grace is lavish and wide enough that I am that he is always there waiting. And lastly, maybe you come to the table this morning saying I have had lousy parenting voices in my life. And, and my first reaction to God as my father is go away. And 
God, I need to recover what it really means to hear the voice of a father who loves me so much that he would do anything. And you come as a proclamation just to say, God, I need, I need to hear the voice of love in my life. And maybe you come to the table as a parent saying, I know that I can never be good enough to give my kids ultimately what they need. God, help me. Help me be the best parent I can be and help my kids grow up to know you and follow you. We come to this table in humility and in brokenness and in a realization that there was a man, Jesus, who represented the fullest dream and expression of love of God. We don't come to this table saying how great we are. We come to say, this is how broken I am. But this is how much God loves me. So hear these words that the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul wrote in Corinthians, that I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, and my body is for you, broken. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also. After supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for you. Do this, drink this in remembrance of me. And as long as we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you guys pray with me? And then the table will be open. Jesus, we acknowledge that everything revolves around you, that somehow your life, death, and resurrection has opened up the family of God to us and to everyone in the world. And all we need to do is put you at the center of it. Lord, I pray that for those of us who need to put you back in the rightful place of allegiance in our lives, God, that we would take that step this morning. I pray that for those of us whose union with you is not what it could be, God, that we would begin to rearrange our lives starting this morning, starting with this act of humility. And God, I pray most of all for those of us who are hurting today because of the legacies that our parents have given us or given us by their absence. God, may this day mark a remembrance of how much you love your children that no matter where we come from, we can find love and acceptance in you. And that you desire to whisper over us words of love and blessing. Replace the words of brokenness with the words of blessing this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.